Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. And before we talk about the Buffs' loss to Arizona, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Drift Car Sharing. Essentially, how, how the company works is you just drop your car off at Denver International Airport, and then Drift will rent it out and give you money for renting your car out through them. And then when whoever rents your car uh, brings it back, Drift will clean your car for you. And so instead of paying for airport parking, you get cash and you get a clean car. So it's a pretty great deal. And on the other hand, like if you're flying into somewhere and you want to rent a car, it's a lot easier to rent through Drift than it is to rent from a rental car company. It's quicker, it's easier, it's cheaper. And you should definitely try it. Uh, they also insure your car through Allstate, so you don't have to worry about damage to it. Uh, they take care of that as well through their insurance. So it's a pretty great deal. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out because I'll be traveling a lot for the rest of this football season. Uh, first off to Eugene this weekend, uh, which should be interesting. And I might have to... Uh, might have to check out the rental car there too. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, definitely check them out. They're a great partner. They have been so far. They're pretty new. And we're excited to see where this goes. If you want to get more info, you can go to drivedrift.com uh, and they'll tell you more about it. All right. Um, so, Colorado lost. And... It's kind of a tough loss to take. You know, this is one of those games that can kind of define this team this year, I think. Uh, You know, Arizona, I think, is a very average football team in the Pac-12. I don't think they're bad. I think that there are definitely flaws, but every Pac-12 football team has flaws. So, I think that just like Arizona State maybe even Nebraska's on a similar tier. These are all games where, you know, you can win and you feel good about this team. You see that they are beating decent competition and that's a reason to look forward to the future. Or if they lose, then that's kind of disappointing because, you know, if, if you're losing to average football teams at home, then maybe you are a below average football team. It's not, not, not an easy loss at all. I think that even the Air Force loss, the only other loss this season, the Buffs are three and two. The the Air Force loss, at least to me, was a little bit 
easier to recover from just because you knew that it was uh, a gimmick offense. You know, it was something that was going to be hard. They can catch teams off guard. They often do. And, you know, that's just what happened. They weren't prepared. They weren't disciplined against a team that does well against teams that aren't prepared and disciplined. We said the same things about this Arizona football team as well earlier in the week that, you know, they don't run that traditional triple option offense, but a lot of what they do is based off similar option-y concepts and it requires a lot of discipline and this Buffs defense hasn't had that kind of discipline. So it's not a surprise that these are kind of the two teams they lost to, although I, I think that, at least for me, I thought that they had maybe not solved that problem, but that it was about time after the bye week that they would look better than they did. You know, they wouldn't give up so many long scoring plays because that's that's what tanks you is when you give up these scores of, you know, 75 yards, 80 yards, and and it just happens right after the Buffs get a big play too. And, and that's what the real killer is is that you finally you, you finally do something like that on your own, and all of a sudden, boom, next snap, Arizona's doing the same thing. I mean, you flash back to the end of the first half. I, I tweeted. It was something like 2.16 to go. The Buffs called a timeout on a third and six for Arizona uh, around like the Buffs' 30-yard line. So they had or around Arizona's 30-yard line. So they had a long ways to go. It was Mel Tucker making a confident play. You know, he he, he wanted to get a chance to get the ball back. He was, he was confident he was going to get the stop and wanted to get more time when he got the ball back. And then, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that was 2-16. Uh, then uh, at 1-50, Dimitri Stanley pulled the uh, reverse... Or he caught the reverse pass from Katie Nixon where Steven Montez hands the ball off to Jaron Mangum who runs left and then Katie Nixon's running back around him to the right and pitches it and Katie drops back, throws a, a pretty nice ball to Dimitri Stanley in the end zone for 38-yard touchdown. You're like, oh, wow, it panned out. The decision to give yourself more time, you probably didn't need the extra time it turns out, but it was a good, good, good call, good play, it worked. And then they kick off, and there's a blown coverage. And, you know, it it was uh, Khalil Tate threw a 75-yard bomb up the sideline to Cedric Peterson on the very next play. And it's just like what happened against Nebraska. It, I think the similar thing happened against Air Force where they, they get the score and then immediately after give up a, give up a score on the other end. And, I mean, that's a killer. You know, it was actually after that that same trick play against Nebraska. Not the same trick play, but it was the flea flicker to Katie Nixon. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, this is a totally different game. Look at this. And then on the very next snap, they give up a a long touchdown. Yeah, that's that's a problem. That's something that needs to get fixed. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, if they're falling asleep, if they're too confident, 
it's these blown coverages are going to cost them games. They did. They did cost them games yet uh, yesterday. Uh, so yeah, you have that, and then at the end of the half, Brady Russell catches a pass from Stephen Montez, and all of a sudden it was. Let's see. What's a good point? Um, it was three to seven with three minutes to go. The Buffs were down, and by halftime, it was twenty to fourteen Buffs. That's, I mean, that's twenty-four points scored in the last three minutes. Uh, the game changed, and and that could have been a, a a point where Colorado just takes off. You know, they build a lead, but instead they give the give most of those points right back. It's it's something that is so frustrating. It's something that needs to be fixed. Uh, going into the second half, you know, I mean, both teams just kept scoring. Uh, Brian Castile gets the long touchdown from Khalil Tate, 33 yards. Tony Brown has his touchdown run after making a great play on the sideline. We'll talk more about him later. Um, Tilford scores. Then Stefano kicks a field goal. And then Tilford scores again, and the Buffs can't respond in the final seven minutes. 35-30, Arizona. The the game was always within six points. It was, looked like a pretty even contest. If, if anything, you look at it and say, like, wow, the Buffs kind of look like the better team outside of these big splash plays. But, I mean, that's a part of it. I think that they probably did deserve to lose that game. They blew too many assignments. Um, it's easy to make excuses with all the injuries. I think nine starters out at one point by the end of the game. They they were down nine starters. Makes it tough to win football games, but good teams can find a way. And this isn't, you know, this isn't the time to be saying like, oh, well, it's a good sign that this happened. You know, there's silver linings. couple guys look decent. Um, throw in nine starters and they probably kill this team. Probably true, but they didn't. And everybody's hurt. And if you spend too much time just thinking about, oh, it could have gone better. It easily could have gone better if the ball bounces a different way. Then that's how you get caught up in the hype instead of what's really going on. You know, this this team needs to win this game, needs to find a way. If this is going to be a team that competes for a Pac-12 title, you got to beat Arizona, especially at home. Um and that's just the fact. And I know that that's where Mel Tucker is setting the bar. That's where he wants the bar to be. And we're not doing anybody any favors by lowering the bar because there are injuries or because whatever is going on. That's that's not how the game works. You either win or you lose, and they didn't win. Um, there's kind of some overall general thoughts. Uh I think that I'll probably wrap up the first segment. We'll come back and talk about this offense in the second segment, and then we'll get to the defense in the third segment, and then we'll get out of here and talk again Monday after uh, I get a chance to go talk some more to the players, see what's going on, how they're moving on from this loss to go play Oregon on Friday in Eugene. And that game's going to be a challenge. We've known it's going to be a challenge, and... They're going to have to fix the problems. I don't think that that's an unwinnable game by any means. I think that Oregon's beatable. I think that we've seen this Colorado offense look very strong. It's just whether they show up or not. And they didn't show up yesterday. 
Okay. Um, there was a lot of bad things that happened on Saturday, but there was one really awesome thing that also happened, and that was the DNVR BST tailgate outside the game on Franklin Field. It was a blast. We had a bit of a crew there. Uh, went over to watch some of the basketball practice, the basketball scrimmage. Basketball team looks good. We also drank some Breckenridge beers, which, I mean, I didn't have that many because, you know, it's a work day for me. But everybody else was pounding them out of a flamingo because that's what we do at those tailgates. So if you like Breckenridge beers, and you definitely should because they are the best, then come drink some with us before every home Buffs game at the DNVR BST tailgate or before every home Broncos game at the DNVR Sons of Mile High tailgate. Um, both are just like right outside the stadium. Super convenient. A lot of fun. Uh, let's see. I will be... Yeah, I'll be at the... I think it's the next Broncos tailgate against the Chiefs, the Thursday night game. And I plan on getting there pretty early. That's like the week after next, like the 15th maybe, 16th. Um, tailgates are all fun. Come with us because... There's a lot of Breckenridge beer, and we love Breckenridge. And this was supposed to be more of a plug for Breckenridge, but uh, it took a turn, and that's all right. Uh, I also want to tell you guys about uh, Total Beverage. Uh, awesome deal running right now. 30% off your order of $25 or more if you use the code DNVR2019. It works through the app. It works on their website. Um like, even if you go into the store, like, you can't just tell them the code because it's, like, an online code and it does, like, all the math. But what you can do is just order online, click pickup, and they'll, like, grab it all for you, and you can just pick it all up for free. And that's super convenient. Or if you – I think the order has to be, like, $50. But if it is $50, then you can get it delivered to you for free anywhere in the Denver metro area. And you get to, like, pick a window and say, like, I want this two-hour period. A lot of the time they can do same day. Sometimes it'll be the next day. But – it's really convenient. And if you don't need to buy $50 worth of alcohol, then you can just pay the $5 delivery fee. It's honestly an incredible service. And you should definitely check them out because the prices are already great. And then you can take 30% off of those when you you spend $25 or more. It's a great deal. They make it super convenient to either pick it up, to have it delivered, and they have a lot of options too, which is pretty cool. Okay. The offense. Um, I think that, you know, I kind of think that we should just run down the list of, um, the list of injuries so that we know who we are even talking about at this point. So LaVisca Chenault did not play. Uh, he was out there in uniform before the game. So like everybody goes out there, they do like, whatever they do in a hoodie or a t-shirt or all that kind of stuff like an hour two hours before the game um warm up catch balls usually have like the headphones on and then they go back into the locker room hang out there talk more and then 30 minutes to kick off maybe they come back out in full uniform and that's the real warm-up so they do the stretches where they run plays all that kind of stuff before they go back in the tunnel wait wait for ralphie LaVisca was wearing his uniform during that portion and made it look like he was going to play. I was actually standing on the Arizona sideline uh, next to a couple of Arizona coaches, and I wasn't standing close enough that I could hear what they were saying because like, it would have been really obvious if I just 
slid over next to them so I could listen to what they're saying. But I can tell you that they were spending a lot of time staring straight at LaVisca Chenault because, I mean, how could you not be scared to play LaVisca? I think that that's what it is. Uh, I actually didn't go to uh, Mel Tucker's press conference last night because I, ha- I wanted to go talk to a couple of the players, talk to uh, Isaiah Lewis, talk to uh, who else was there? Uh, Sam Neuer. Uh, I mostly wanted to talk to Dimitri Stanley. And, and so it was good to hear from those guys because I get the quotes from the press conference anyway and figured that all the questions that I wanted to ask would be asked. I'm actually not sure. I haven't seen anywhere whether uh, anybody asked Mel when he realized that LaVisca wasn't going to be ready, whether he was actually still testing it out at that point because that's late to be testing it out. You usually don't see that. More likely than not, I think that they just wanted to scare Arizona. They wanted to change things. Um, they wanted them to think, oh, no, we're going with this game plan work on those plays for that game plan, and then at the last second, flip it. So, I mean, that's my take on what happened, but you still have to hear what they have to say. Um, The point is, LaVisca Chenault did not play. Uh, Katie Nixon got hurt in the first half. What was the play? I can't remember the play. But uh, I remember it was first half, and he came out, didn't return for the rest of the game. So you're down your top two receivers, uh, Colby Purcell also did not play. I was standing at the end of the tunnel before the game, just like waiting for guys to come out. He like the special teams guys go out and do whatever they do, like kick some stuff before the rest of the team comes out for warmups, like in uniform in between the special teamers coming out and those guys coming out, uh, which is like a 15 minute gap. Colby Purcell came out and he was talking to a trainer. I'm not sure what he was talking about. Um, didn't really want to eavesdrop because that's not what you do there. And so you, you kind of wondered like, oh, is, is anything going on? I don't think I've heard anything or I don't think they've said anything about uh, what is up with him. But starting guard, he didn't play. Casey Roddick started in his place. Um, so there's three guys. Were there any others? Brady Russell left the game in the second half, didn't return. Uh, I don't think we have updates on any of these guys yet. Uh, hopefully this week we'll get some. I think that's the only four. Still four is quite quite a few starters to be missing on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so, let's see. Where do we even go from there? Let's start with the offensive line. Wasn't always bad. Uh, especially in the first half. I think that, you know, they, they gave up some pressure. Steven Montez was chased out of the pocket, but it wasn't like beat off the snap. He didn't have a chance. Uh, he he did a very good job of stepping up in the pocket, particularly in the first half. Uh, you know, we talked about I wrote about it. Just take that five-step drop, bounce off that back foot, step up, find somebody. And he did a good job of that, and it wasn't until somebody actually got through the line that he rolled out and made plays and he looked good doing it too. I was very impressed through the first half with how Steven Montez played. I think that he, he took the easy stuff that came with being able to drop back in a clean pocket. And when he did get chased out of the pocket, whether it was two seconds or three seconds later, you know, it it was decent protection. It was pretty average protection in that first half, you know, 
give him a couple seconds, and then somebody somewhere gets through and he has to roll out and make a play. And when he when Steven did have to roll out, he made quite a few plays. He looked really good. Uh, I think the reason it worked so well is that, you know, somebody had broken through the the line and that's why he rolled out. He wasn't just mindlessly rolling out when everybody was blocked, meaning that, you know, if you roll out right, then your the guy your right tackle is blocking can just turn around and chase you. You know, he has that angle all of a sudden because you're not using your blockers. Um, he waited until he was chased out, and then that gave him a little more time, and it, it worked well for him. He looked good throwing the ball from there. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what we talk about is that you just want to keep the offense on time, drop back in the pocket, just keep working your way down the field. But then sometimes being forced to roll out of the pocket gives you some big opportunities, opportunities for big plays. And, you know, the the touchdown to Brady Russell at the end of the half is a great example of him making a play, you know, dodging tacklers in the backfield, rolling out to the right, curling back to the left, waving downfield, telling guys where to go, and then finding Brady Russell right on the edge of the end zone. That's it. It was. I mean, there were plays that made me think, like, oh, that's that's kind of like Pat Mahomes or Russell Wilson. And obviously, there are some huge differences between those two. But in some of those situations, he was doing the type of things that you see those guys do. I think that it definitely wasn't a bad game for Steven Montez. I think that if the pocket had stayed clean in the second half, we would have been even more impressed by what he did. Um, I think that he really built well off of that Arizona State performance when he really did step in the up in the pocket, controlled the offense, just kind of kept things on tempo. Uh, I, I think that that worked really well in the first half, and then in the second half, things kind of started to fall apart. He looked a, a little bit scared. You know, there there was one the play before the Tony Brown. 48-yard completion, I think. Maybe it was 49 down the sideline. Beautiful catch by Tony. Beautiful ball by Steven. Uh, the play before, he had a clear pocket. Totally clear pocket. And left out the back, circled around his right tackle. I mean, the the right tackle was so deep. Like, he had to run. I mean, he, he was 10, 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And there was no reason to leave the pocket. He had time. But he was a little bit scared because of the pressure that it'd be getting through. He had that internal clock that told him, like, this is right when guys has been breaking through in the past. And he let that dictate his play just a little bit more than what's actually happening. And, you know, we've, we've talked about how Steven sometimes struggles to go through a bunch of different reads. And, you know, people call him a one-read quarterback. I think that that it might be a little bit, little bit harsh. I think that he does read the field a little bit better than people give him credit for. It's just that when you're pressured, it, it's a lot more difficult, and he's been in that situation so much that it's easy to just say he can't do it instead of say, like, maybe if he had a shot. Like, in that Arizona State game, he did a good job of doing that because he had the time, he had everything figured out. He just doesn't do it consistently, and I think that a lot of that is tied to the offensive line performance. But you also have to remember that when the offensive line is letting guys through, as most do, I mean, good offensive lines can keep them blocked for three, four seconds. Bad offensive lines keep them blocked for one or two seconds. And consistently, it was in that two to three range. And it was closer to two in the first half, or closer to three in the first half, closer to two in in the second half. And that was a big difference, I think. Um, 
but when when those guys are getting through, that's another read that Steven has to make. He needs to see where things are coming from and do that on top of finding a receiver downfield, which which makes things even more difficult for somebody who, I mean, that is not his strength. It's it's frustrating to watch a guy like Steven have to play the the type of game that he was forced to play. And, and you know, like I said, when he, when things did break down, he did a great job of salvaging them. But you have to remember that they, they weren't all just the Brady Russell touchdown or the other deep balls that he threw or finding guys. You know, he had a great play where a pocket opened up around him. Um, there was a 10-yard gap between, I think, the center and one of the guards up at the line of scrimmage because everybody just been pushed around. It was a huge running lane. And so what he did was angle off to the left up that running lane, like a 45-degree angle downfield, drew the linebacker who was covering, I think it was Fontenot, uh, just like three yards downfield who was standing there waiting for the pass. So that's to the right. Montez runs to the left, draws the linebacker, pitches the ball upfield, lets Fontenot run for seven yards. Like that kind of playmaking stuff he can do. And it's easy to find those examples and say, well, why don't you just put him in those situations more often? But then you have to remember, all of those throwaways came from those situations. Uh, there, there were plenty of incompletions that weren't throwaways out of those situations. Uh, it's, it, it's high risk, high reward when you ask a guy to make something out of nothing. Even if there's a, a, a player who's very good at making something out of nothing, it's still 50-50, big play, nothing at all. And that's why you try to keep the pocket clear as much as you can. Because that way, uh, you, you take those easy passes, you're less likely to turn the ball over, you just keep things on target, and occasionally you can get the big play there too, whether it's a catch and run, whether it's a shot downfield, but when you are keeping things clean, that's when the defense has to send blitzers, so that when you do have to roll out and make something happen, you've got one-on-one coverage somewhere. You just have to find those open receivers and build off of what he can do in the pocket. You know, he missed a couple passes, uh... I think I think it wasn't until the third quarter. I t- I tweeted about it. I could go back to my tweets and find it, but it was late second. No, I think it was early third, mid third quarter. Um, that he 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 missed an open receiver on the sideline. Second down, missed an open receiver across the middle on third down. They had to punt. We saw a lot more of that early in the season. Not nearly as much now. You know, it caught my eye when it happened because I th- I think at that point he was like 17 of 23 or something like that, 17 of 26. So so they had had a couple incompletions, um, but but they were throwaways or the Daniel Arias drop touchdown. Uh, that's another huge play, you know. Daniel Arias, he has so many things working for him, and it's so obvious. I mean, he, he gained separation on that play, got open in the end zone, end zone 45 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield. And Steven Montez threw a beautiful ball out of the pocket. Um, just dropped it right in his hands. But, you know, Arias, for whatever reason, whether it's because he hasn't seen the field much, he hasn't... I mean, Katie Nixon has looked over his shoulder and tracked a ball over his shoulder and caught it just like that millions of times. 
that's that's a lot of his game is doing exactly that. Daniel Arias hasn't been asked to do that too much in a game. Like this isn't excusing it. He has to make that catch. He 100% does. But if you want to figure out why, I think that that's a part of it. I think the fact that I mean it's it's all just based on him being raw and you have to see how much you can develop just the skills a little bit more. Just that I don't know what whatever it is that gives you confidence in a receiver to make plays. He's just lacking that. He has the body, he has the speed, he has decent feet. Like he he's a guy who nine months from now, eight months from now, or no, like ten or eleven months from now, when when next season starts, he's probably going to be your number one receiver. He's probably going to be you know taking that Lavisca Chenault role. Maybe Katie Nixon stays to be the number two. Maybe that's Dimitri Stanley. Maybe it's Vontae Chenault. Maybe Dimitri goes to the three because that's more of his fit as the slot guy. Whatever it is, Daniel Arias is going to be that guy who's catching that pass next year. It's about building for next year with him, which is disappointing because you want guys who can win you games right now, but both of those two guys who you really trust are on the sideline. That's my take there. He's just not quite ready yet, and a year from now, I think he makes that catch. Still can't excuse it, though. And that's something that, you know, Buffs fans aren't going to forget about when he is the number one next year. Uh, yeah, so there was a little tangent on that play. But, I mean, that was a great ball from Steven Montez. Perfect ball from Steven Montez. You know, he had a step on the defender. Montez delivered it in stride over his shoulder right in front of him. You could not have asked. There was no way that pass could have been any better. And we saw that a couple times. Same thing with Tony Brown down the sideline. You know, when he's rolling out of the pocket, finding uh, Brady Russell, incredible play. We saw a bunch of those. And just like we have been seeing, but we didn't see quite as many of the missed passes until the second half when things started to fall out of rhythm. And, you know, that's that's a problem. Uh, I, I did think... There were a couple times I thought that they were running the ball just a little bit too much when they, when they were kind of dictating the game, passing the ball. They were getting guys open. Montez was finding them. They were in a rhythm passing the ball. Then they handed off. And, and it kind of makes sense because they were running the ball well. Alex Fontenot had his second 100-yard rushing game of the season. Uh, the Buffs put up 160 rushing yards. Uh yeah, Fontenot, 21 carries, 106 yards. That's a four-and-a-half-yard average. Pretty good. Uh, Jaron Mangum, 10 for 34. Solid for a number two. That's, sol- that's solid stuff, but when the, off- when the passing offense is performing as well as it did, at least through the first half, uh, I would have said keep the ball in the air just a little bit more. That's what I would have liked to see. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think that that's the offense. Dimitri Stanley looked really good, caught the long touchdown, finished the game with uh, four catches for 75 yards and that touchdown. Uh, Tony Brown, 10 catches, 141 yards. He Also, the 15-yard touchdown run on the reverse. He's he's really good. That's, a, that's an NFL receiver right there. I, I don't know. I, I think that he will get drafted uh uh, he has to keep it up he has to keep it up for the rest of the season but he has been so exciting to watch he's making nfl caliber plays it it, like he isn't putting up massive i mean he kind of is putting up massive numbers this is gonna put him what 90 receiving yards a game something like that that's a that's a guess but 
maybe even more. He he looks he looks like he could be a, a guy who you want on the field at the next level. And that's exciting just because his game fits so well. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's pretty much everything. Uh, injuries hurt him, but injuries hurt every team every week. Uh, and that's it's always disappointing, makes the game less fun to watch because you want to see LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon just run wild. Didn't get to see it. Steven Montez looked good in the first half, did not look as good in the second half. Um, Daniel Arias needs to catch that touchdown. They they struggled scoring touchdowns uh, when they were in the red zone, even in the goal-to-go situations. They settled for some field goals. That changes games right there. I, I also, there was one more play. Uh, it was one of the goal-to-go situations. I think it was like a second down, maybe from the eight-yard line, nine-yard line. A little bit later on in the game, after the pocket had started to collapse, Steven Montez wasn't trusting his line quite as much. Things kind of opened up in front of him just a little bit. He had a bit of a running lane, and he took it. And he picked up four yards. It might have even been a third down. But but it was not the right call because the... Oh no, it was a third down because he, there was just no way he was getting the end zone he the pocket was kind of starting to go, but he had another second to stand in there and try to find somebody coming open late. Instead, he tried to run the ball, but he didn't really try to get into the end zone. Just no reason to do that, and that's kind of what happens when he gets gets the happy feet, gets a little bit nervous, and it it changes how he plays the game. And once you lose that rhythm, lose that confidence, it's tough to get it back. And I think that that's the main takeaway is that. We saw the Steven Montez we wanted to see in the first half. In the second half, we didn't. And I think that the biggest reason why is that offensive line. Um, yeah. Oh, there there was also Mel Tucker's decision. I, I still haven't seen a replay, but on their final drive, when the Buffs are trying to go down the field, down 35-30 to tie the game up, or I guess they couldn't, but take the lead, then they had a, a second down play where it looked like they picked up the first down bad spot from the refs puts him behind the sticks. Mel Tucker doesn't challenge. Um, don't get on third down. Uh, don't get on fourth down either. Well, also worth noting, you know, Vontae Chenault, I think Brian Howell was the one that noticed this. Vontae Chenault was on the field for the fourth down before they called that timeout. That's part of the reason why they called the timeout probably, but I mean, that's, that's where they were at. The true freshman, hasn't seen any run on offense this season is on the field in the situation where the game is on the line called the timeout to get out of that situation. But again, I mean, that's what's going on right now with those injuries to the receivers. I'd be all right with him getting snaps, but that's not the situation for, for that. Um, yeah, I think that that's where we are offensively. If you guys have any other takes, definitely leave comments. I'd like to hear them. I'm not quite as low on Steven Montez after this game. I think that a lot of what happened for him that didn't go right was not his fault. And you'd like to see him just power through and make plays anyway. But, you know, he kind of did. He did. He he got out of the pocket. You know, what's his stat line? Stat line is 28 of 42, 299 yards and a touchdown. 
throwing a 50-yard touchdown to uh, Daniel Arias, and he's looking at 29 of 42 for uh, 350 and and two touchdowns. And that's that's a real that's a that's a good day. That's a good day. Okay, uh, that's actually it on the offense. And before we move on to talk about the defense, I'm going to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft is CBD-enriched coffee that, you know, people who have tried it have fallen in love with it. It's, uh, it's, it's used, some people like it because it, it gets rid of their depression, anxiety. Uh, some people like it for the physical effects, you know, back pain, whatever it may be. Uh, if, if you guys haven't checked it out, you definitely should. If you use our code BSN2019, then you can get 20% off and they'll ship it straight to your door. So you don't even have to go buy it. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. CBD is all natural, not psychoactive. It's good coffee as well. A lot of people around the office are really happy with it. So check them out if you're interested in CBD products and even if you're just interested in good coffee. All right. Um, to the defense. It's uh, it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. You know, like the offense, we should probably run through the injuries. Obviously, Aaron Maddox has been out a couple of weeks. He'll be out a few more. Uh, Mikhail Onu left the game after I think it was the long touchdown run or long touchdown pass he was playing that deep third on the 75 yarder late in the second quarter and let the guy get by him you know that that has happened to every defensive back on this team this year it's happened to all of them multiple times honestly it's happened to Onu multiple times it's happened to Delrick Abrams happened to Matt it I don't know you know, so something we were talking about in the press box last night, actually, is like, how much of a difference does it really make? And losing Mikhail Onu, sure, he's blown some coverages just like everybody has. But when the defense is in the place that it's in right now, which is they struggle to just stop somebody on three plays and force them to punt. You, you need splash plays. You need somebody to stop a guy behind the line of scrimmage. You need a sack. You know, either of those puts them behind the sticks and you give yourself a chance, or you need somebody who can end drives. And Mikhail Onu has forced six turnovers, I think, now this season. He had another interception uh, yesterday, Saturday. He's, I mean, I wonder, I wonder what percentage of opponent drives he's stopped. I mean, if you think, how many drives were there in yesterday's game? I'll pull that up. There were... Okay, this is really slow. I'm having trouble flipping through the pages with one hand. And there we go. Okay. Uh, Arizona drives. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, no, it doesn't count. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 12 drives yesterday. So 12 drives times four games is 48 drives. Mikhail Onu has for six turnovers, so that's one in every eight drives has been stopped by Mikhail Onu, if 12 is about the average for all of the drives that they've given up. That's pretty incredible. That's more than 10% of opponent drives have been stopped by Mikhail Onu forced turnover. If I'm all... Yeah, that, that math is right. You know, even if he does miss his assignment, even if he does blow a coverage, that his turnover ability kind of makes it worth it in this defense 
because, you know, they they don't want just like a cog back there who can do his job because there are 10 other guys who can't do their job and those guys are just going to get picked on. You know, having him just be a good safety in the traditional good safety sense, not quite as valuable as in this defense, having a guy who can by himself just end a drive and get the entire team off the field. He almost had another interception yesterday too. He played a tip pass pretty well and you never really know exactly where it's going to go. And he ended up being just like a yard behind it laid out and still almost got there. He just has those senses and that's something that the team really needs. Uh, but he was out is the point. So you're down both starting safeties. You're down Chris Miller, who we found out just after kickoff, I believe, uh, is out for the year with an ACL injury. Uh, he'll be back. He had surgery on Friday. He'll be back next fall for fall camp. Um, actually, the Buffs SID staff released the injury update right after kickoff. And he was on there. Mustafa Johnson was out with a high ankle sprain could return anywhere from one to four weeks. And then LaVisca, of course, uh, core muscle strain. He remains day-to-day, but is out today. He has undergone an MRI and is being evaluated by specialists. So there's there's that update that they held on to, and it must have been ready with uh, LaVisca out there in pads, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's all strategic. Why not? Um, yeah, so you're down, obviously, Three starting defensive backs. Chris Miller took Makai Blackman's job a couple weeks ago. You're down Mustafa Johnson. Uh, Jalen Sammy left uh, halfway through the game, somewhere around the midpoint of the game. Five defensive starters. That's going to make everything a lot harder because even if it feels like Mikhail Onu has blown some coverages, I still trust him in coverage a lot more than I trust Sam Neuer at this point. He's still raw at safety. You know, he, he's still getting used to it. And who knows? He could be a great safety in a few weeks. That was the first step there. And, you know, he didn't play particularly badly. I, don't, I didn't see anything that made me think like, oh, no, that's, that's a problem. That's something that needs to be fixed. It's just this consistently out of position defense. I, somebody on Twitter, oh, Silverbuff said something about um, the... Which touchdown was that? I think that was at the 33-yard touchdown. Yeah, it was to Castile. Uh, put put Arizona up 21-20 early in the third quarter. That was when he was running up the seam, and Landman kind of had him underneath. And I think Silverbuff said something like, oh, there's Landman in coverage again. And, you know, I don't think that that one was actually on Landman because they were playing a cover three I mean, the defense was kind of out of whack, and so it was tough to read what exactly was going on. So they have the the three guys deep, and they the Arizona just ran like four vertical routes, and so you just put one outside or on each side. You put one up each seam, and somebody's gonna be open because there are only three defenders back there. Sam Neuer, maybe he could have like bluffed one way, gone back the other way. Maybe he could have just sat dead in the middle of the two seams and tried to make a play when Khalil Tate made a decision. But no, he glued himself to one of the guys, took him out of the play, and Tate made the pass to Castile. You'd like to see Nate run with him, but you know Brian Castile, the receiver, is going to be a lot faster than almost any linebacker running a 33-yard sprint downfield. Would have liked to see Nate or one of the other guys in underneath coverage because they were all bunched up. There were three guys just like bunched up within five yards of each other where all these receivers were getting off the line. I'd like to see him at least bump him. 
slow them down. Uh, just frustrating. Those those defensive patterns sometimes just don't make any sense, and it's probably because somebody's out of position. I can't remember how we got here, but you know, it's it's just frustrating, is what it is. And again, this isn't the most talented defense in the Pac-12, but there are still mistakes that they're making that aren't just them being out talented you know and and that needs to change that really does need to change if we want a little more pass rush you know Khalil Tate we haven't talked about him enough yet but Khalil Tate was incredible he he did what he always does against Colorado he didn't even come out all that hot I didn't think you know he he ran the ball well but most of it was just with his arm 31 of 41 an interception 404 yards three touchdowns there were some terrible decisions the interception to Mikhail Onu being the most obvious he just threw it to where there were three buffs because he wanted out of his hand it, it's He's if if you're as frustrated as you are or might be watching uh watching Steven Montez watching uh Cleo Tate every game has to be so much worse because he does so many things so well but then just makes mistakes. Um particularly in the second half. What was he? Yeah, eight for fourteen with an interception in the first half. Twenty four for uh or yeah. What is that? 23 of, tw- of 27. Yeah, 23 of 27 in the second half. I mean, that's that's pretty good. They, he just picked him apart, picked apart the middle of the field, especially as we've seen. Um, downfield, he found some blown coverages and took advantage. Those big plays need to get cleaned up. You see him a lot in the Pac-12, but not quite as much from teams like Utah or Oregon or the others that typically win the games in the Pac-12. Just make it hard. Make it hard on the offense to get the ball downfield and score. You know, the one really bright spot was the run defense. Obviously, Arizona was able to run out the clock at the end of the game, but early on, the the Buffs really did bottle up that rushing attack for Arizona, which which they should. And I think that that should be the strength of the defense. It hasn't always been this season, but that is the pro to having a couple guys like Nate Landman and John Van Deest who are very strong uh, run defenders. And the defensive line, pretty solid against the run. Uh, you, sh- you shouldn't be letting teams run against you. If, if you want to pick on those inside linebackers for being more of a run-stuffing two-down type than the guy who's out there to cover the tight ends and running backs then yeah, pick on them there and make make that try to balance that out with how they stop you from running the football. But this that was a step for sure. I think that the way that they stopped this running game just need a little more out of that back end and they win. It, it wouldn't have taken much. It would have taken one more play somewhere in that game and that's enough. If they wanted to fix all of it, stop all those blown coverages deep downfield, then the Buffs might win this game by three scores. Who knows? It's it's something that needs to get cleaned up. 
It might not get cleaned up this year. You know, I'm not low on Tyson Summers at all. I don't think that he has a lot to work with. I think that you do need more talent on this defense for it to to be championship caliber. The blown assignments and stuff, sure, it's a problem. I, I still don't really know that I would blame the coaching staff all that much yet. If it looks like the, this at the end of the year, then, yeah, you can have that conversation. It's it's just really complicated. They're still figuring it out. They're throwing in random guys. It's, they, had, they had six starters on the field. They had five guys who had their roles increase significantly. And even the guys behind them who are now getting into the rotations are out there. KJ Trujillo was... I, I got to find that snap count, but he was out there a lot. Uh, and he's a freshman. And he's going to make mistakes. And he did make mistakes. This is... Uh, it's it's not unexpected, all of this that's happening with this defense. You just hope that they can keep building. And yesterday was a step back. And you can find reasons for the step back and try to talk your way through it not being the end of the world. But... You know, the, the point is good teams win football games. Bad teams don't win football games. And when bad teams lose, they try to find excuses. They try to talk themselves into making it feel better. They try to find the bright spots. And, you know, for a good team, they they just they just notch the win and then they move on. They, they lose a game, then they just move on because that's how football works. You can't you can't dwell on this kind of stuff and think about the what ifs about how this could be a five and O team with a couple of different breaks. Those breaks didn't happen and they didn't happen for a reason. Okay, uh, I think that we've probably covered everything we need to talk about today. If you guys have any other thoughts, um, anything that's different than my thoughts, anything I didn't touch on, if you just want to agree with me, that's always cool too. Um, leave a comment on this post. We'll talk more about it tomorrow on Monday and move on you know they, they have their 24-hour rule where you you feel the pain you let it hurt and then you get ready for Oregon because think of how quickly this season changes when you beat the Oregon Ducks is that going to happen I wouldn't bet on it but I, I don't think that this Colorado football team isn't good enough to beat this this Ducks team they come out and played like they play against Arizona State they play the offense plays kind of like it did in the first half on uh, on Saturday, particularly the end of that first half. Then, yeah, w- why not? I I really do think that that that's something that is on the table. Okay, um, I got to get off to the Buff soccer game anyway. Hopefully, I'll run into a couple of you there. I know I've run into a few of you, uh, but we need more because. As sad as it is that the Buffs lost in football, there are other other really fun things that are also going on, and you guys should try to be a part of them. Also, if you guys were at the game yesterday, you saw a friend of the podcast, Taylor Korniak, out on the field for a big ceremony during one of the timeouts, uh, being honored for becoming the Buffs' all-time leading scorer, uh, which was pretty cool, and she totally deserves it. It was an awesome moment, and... Hopefully you guys saw that and thought, huh, yeah, cool girl. She was on the podcast. Uh, Woman. You're not supposed to say girl, even though. 
even though like if I got called a boy at this point, I see, I, I don't know all that. All I know is you're supposed to say woman. She's an awesome woman. Um, and that was a really cool moment. One of the bright spots of Saturday, at least for me. Okay. Um, time to go watch some soccer. Hopefully you guys also do that. And hopefully you guys just kind of feel the burn on this one and move on tomorrow because there's still a lot of football to be played. Nothing is set in stone. This could, I mean, there's no reason there can't be an exciting run for this football team that has the talent to make one starting on Friday. Just have to see what happens. Uh, Pac-12, every team has flaws, major flaws. Uh, Maybe no team has fewer than Oregon, though. Just going to throw that out there. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again on Monday, and I'll see you all then. Bye. Patiently awaiting When I hit the field It's so hard to behave I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd Do the wave Look into my eyes I can tell that you afraid Cause you know we finna hit ya Hit ya Hit ya You on your own now Why you watching the official You just better hope you make it to the next whistle And we ain't playing with you You can get it anytime It started at the scrimmage We gon' win it at the line My Colorado swag in the middle Colorado swag, my 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 Colorado
Colorado Swing.